Hello and welcome to News from the Torah. Today is the 6th of December, um, the 24th of Kislev, and this week we'll be reading the Torah portion of Vayeshev. It is also very rare because um, Thursday night we'll be lighting the first light of Hanukkah. It's the first night of Hanukkah, and usually Hanukkah falls out on the next or portion, Miketz, but this is a very rare occasion where Hanukkah actually falls out on Parshat Vayeshev. And in this week's Torah portion, Yosef is taken down to Egypt, um, and that starts the exile in Egypt, which is really the forerunner of every single exile that the Jewish people will ever go into. It is the foreign of every persecution that the Jews will ever feel. And of course, this is a very timely message for our situation today. And I actually want to share something that happened today. I teach uh, once a week a women's class, and this year we're learning the book of Chovot um, Livavot. It's a book written 1,000 years ago by Rabbeinu Bechaye and explains the emotional commandments, the commandments that a person needs to feel uh, to serve God. It is called The Duties of the Heart. And part of this book is called Shara Bitachon, The Gate of Trust in God. And this is what we're learning this year how a person can develop trust in God. And so, as we were talking uh, in class, one of the women asked how she should deal with fear. Ever since the attack on Israel on Simchat Torah, she has a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. Every night she closes all the doors and all the windows. And there's just so much fear and anxiety going on. And of course, it's very understandable. Many Israelis uh, feel anxiety and fear. There's been a lot of trauma. It is labeled as the biggest mental health crisis in Israel's history. And we're just at the start of it. Uh, there are going to be many more events unfolding with 200,000 internal refugees in Israel, many families torn away from their homes and spending time in hotels. You know, hotels sound so fun, but when you actually go into a hotel to spend time with evacuees after they've been there for two months, you see just how much of a toll these hotels are taking on these families being cramped into little rooms, having no privacy, no autonomy. Um, just last week, actually, we were in a hotel in Jerusalem with families evacuated from Zderoth. And the women there were literally crying. It was Thursday, and they were saying that, you know, usually Thursday is the day when they prepare for Shabbat. They're used to going out um shopping, buying food, buying um, the things that they need for Shabbat, preparing Shabbat. Many families in the Sephardi heritage actually have a custom to set the table on Thursday. So from Thursday, the table is already set for Shabbat. Like think of Thanksgiving. If you have Thanksgiving and two days before you already set out the table. So the families have this custom of starting Thursday of of going shopping and cooking and baking and preparing everything for Shabbat and then Friday too. And then Shabbat is this family town where everybody gets together and there's a holiday meal. And now in the hotels, they tell me that this is the most depressing time of the week because they cannot go shopping, they cannot cook, they cannot bake, they cannot prepare Shabbat, they cannot host friends and family. They're stuck in a hotel 
eating industrial food, whatever the hotel chooses to feed them. And they just have this, you know, the, the pinnacle of their week is taken away from them. And it's very, very hard. And the women are literally almost crying that Shabbat is coming and they're so depressed. And in particular, there was one older woman in her 60s. She was standing there saying, I just wish I could make my couscous. Couscous is a... Um, is a a traditional Friday meal that is made from semolina. It's this little pellets of semolina that are eaten with um, with soup, the traditional stew. And she was just saying there, standing there sighing, when can she make her couscous? So thankfully, one of the women I was with at the hotel is an American woman who has an apartment not far away from this hotel. And she invited this lady to come into her kitchen and to make couscous together. So it is really these little things that we think are so trivial in a time of war, but these things create the mental health crisis that the families are feeling. Actually, in our own organization, it's called Our People, in the organization that I run, we are starting something that is called the Shalom Bait Cafe. It's a space we're setting up for these couples that are stuck in hotels with no privacy, with kids on their head the whole week. So we're setting up a space where families can come, not families, actually couples, married couples, without the kids can come, without the kids, um, out of the hotel, hang out, drink something, eat something, chat, just, you know, some some alone time, um, have some privacy, and, and they, you know, they can recharge their relationship with just a place to talk quietly, without um, having the kids in their head. And we're giving this completely free. So if you would like to support this initiative, you can go to ourpeople.org.il slash war effort, uh, ourpeople.org.il slash war effort. And you can support this effort or any of the other efforts we're making for the evacuated families, whether it's washing machines or electrical appliances, for evacuated families and for soldiers, whether it's toy sets and games for evacuated families and for families of soldiers. Actually, tonight we're packing packages for army wives and their children with toys for these kids who have not seen their fathers um, for eight weeks, except for brief visits like my, ch my own grandchildren. Uh, my two sons-in-law have been in the army since the first day of the war. They come uh, once a week for a bit, and then they're off. Their children don't really get to see them so much. So and there are hundreds of thousands of families like that throughout Israel. The uh, families have evacuated uh, from the south and from the north, the army families. So the strain is huge. And like I said, I'm coming full circles. This is the biggest mental health crisis in Israel's history, also because the events of the Samhat Torah, the 7th of October, were so extremely traumatizing. You know, uh, a joke that is said in Israel is that is usually Israelis, their response to any kind of um, event is usually black humor. So when things happen, when there's terrorism, when there are rocket attacks, Israelis right away respond with black humor. It took them over a week this time around to respond with black humor and it's been very sparse. And this just shows how bad the attack is and how deep the trauma is.
Uh, but I would like today to explore a tool that can help all of us deal with fear, um, with anxiety. And I think fear and anxiety is actually very common today for Jews, especially both in Israel due to the events, but also Jews outside of Israel feel a lot of anxiety and fear because of growing anti-Semitism. And the Hasidic thought actually w offers us a beautiful, beautiful tool on how to deal with anxiety and fear. And so I'm lifting this idea from the class that I gave today, and I'm applying this to this podcast, and I hope that this is going to be helpful for everybody who is listening. So the Baal Shem Tov asks a very interesting question. He asks, why does the Torah command us to fear God? You would think God is so awesome. God runs our life and God can do whatever he wants to us. So it would only be natural for people to feel fear or towards God. Why does there need to be a separate commandment to have a feeling of awe before God? And it's a very profound question, and the Baal Shem Tov first explains what is, what is fear? What is the psychological feeling of fear? And he has a very interesting insight. He says that fear is um, a feeling that we have when we're afraid to lose something. Fear always precedes uh, anticipated loss. So for example, somebody might be afraid to lose their money, or somebody might be afraid to lose a relationship, or somebody might be afraid that they will never have a relationship, or let's say fear of pain, they will lose the comfort, or fear of death, they will lose life. So fear is always connected with some kind of anticipated loss. We anticipate a loss, and this is why we feel fear. But he says that once the loss actually happens, we're not afraid anymore. And just a funny uh, situation I have with my daughter. She's supposed to go through this minor surgery to remove um, a, a mark on her skin. And she's so afraid of the surgery. But once the surgery actually happens, there won't be any fear it will, because it will be behind her. So fear is always about anticipating a loss. And that creates in us a sense of fear. So the Baal Shem goes on to say that every living creature in the world actually fears something or someone. So um, a mouse fears a cat, a cat fears a dog, a dog fears a wolf. Okay, a human being fears another human being who is bigger and stronger than he she, or she. So fear is a very natural instinct that we have when we fear a loss, including loss of life or pain, which is loss of comfort. And every single living creature in the world actually has fear. So how is the fear that the Torah commands that they have of God, how is it different? How is the fear of God a commandment from the Torah and not just a natural instinct? And the Baal Shem Tov explains that the fear of God that we have is not like all these other fears. It's not about fearing that God will strike you down or that God will do bad things to you. It's not fearing God because he's in control and he runs the world. That's not the fear we're talking about. That's the kind of instinctive, natural fear that every single um, animal, every single creature in the world has. The kind of fear that we're commanded to have in the Torah the, is called internal fear. 
An internal fear is a fear of God where what we're afraid of losing is connection to God. We understand that connection to God is real life. And our Torah says that people who are wicked are actually called dead. Because without real, true, intimate connection to God, an emotional connection to God, there is nothing left. There is no life. That's the only kind of life that is real. So somebody who does not have that kind of connection to God, they may go through the motions and they may seem alive, but really they're not. So what he says is that the real fear, the internal fear that we're supposed to have that the Torah commands this, is the fear of losing our connection to God, and that's like fear of death. Now, how does God enable us to develop this internal fear? How does he get this fear of God into us? So the Balshantov explains that when God shows us love, when God shows us positive feelings, positive emotions, our job is to channel them back towards God. Everything good that happens to you in life is like a little hug from God. God is sending you, hey, I see you. I'm sending you this ray of light, this ray of love, and this ray of light and love is translated into something good and positive that happens to you. So the more we pay attention to the little positive things and the big positive things that happen in our life, including little positive emotions, this feeling of warmth, feeling of love towards somebody, a hug, a meeting with a loved one, everything that is positive, uh, little rays of love that God is sending to us. And if we can translate everything that happened to us as such, that is called Yehud. That is how you actually connect this world with God. And the Baal Shem Tov writes that if we want to bring Mashiach, it's actually in one of his letters that he was told by Mashiach in a meeting that they had, a meeting of souls, that the way to bring Mashiach into the world, the bring to bring redemption into the world is what's called Yehudim. By taking every experience we have and unifying it back to God and, if, and unifying all the physical um, experiences we have in this world, understanding that these are all signs and messages from God. So this is when it comes to positive emotions, but the same goes for negative emotions. If a person feels fear, it doesn't really matter what he or she are afraid of. It might be a dog, it might be a terrorist, it might be an anti-Semite, it might be sitting and watching uh, demonstrations on TV, it might be uh, from the IRS, and it might be from the police, and it might be from, from a neighbor, or from losing money, any kind of sensation of fear that we have is really a message from God who says, I don't want you to fear that. I want you to now take this fear that you're feeling of something in the world and channel it back to me. Because really, nobody and nothing can hurt us unless they are given permission by God. And if there's one thing we saw during the uh, Simchat Torah attack on the 7th of October, it is that 
every person in those situations, and it's horrible to see and it's so hard to say, but every bullet there had an address. And people could be staying in the same safe room, quite a few stories of people staying in the same safe room, four people, and two of them got killed and two of them walked away. Somebody got kidnapped and somebody in the same exact space, in the same exact situation, walked away scot-free. And last week, there was a woman in one of the kibbutzim, and she shared that when she understood what was going on, she went over to her bookcase, and she took out a book of Zohar. I actually saw this video, so I, 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 it's not by hearsay. I saw the woman telling the story. She took a book of Zohar from her bookshelf, and she decided not to go into her safe room. She went into her bedroom. She hid behind the closet the clothes in her closet. She closed the closet. She hid behind the clothes. She opened the Sefer Zohar, the book of the Zohar, and she looked at the letters. She saw the letters exuding this light, and she felt one with the letters, and she just talked to God and felt herself enveloped in this light. The terrorists walked into her house, walked around, didn't find anything, and walked right out. Then they shot at the closet through the windows, so the um, bullets hit the closet, but did not hit the woman. And she was basically hidden in this closet for 12 hours. She heard everything going on at her neighbor's. Her house is the only house on her street not to be damaged by the terrorists. It was not burned down. She stayed. She said she, she was in a different world. So... And she walked away scot-free from this whole experience. So as we see, nobody can hurt anybody. Nothing can hurt us until or unless God decrees it. So we have no business fearing anybody or anything. And when we do feel the sense of fear, what the Bachantos tells us to do is to first of all acknowledge it. Acknowledge the fear. Say, I am afraid right now of this dog, of this person of this situation, of this loss? What is the loss that you're afraid of? What are you afraid of losing? And now take this fear and take it back to God. Tell God, look, I know that nobody can hurt me. This dog cannot hurt me. These people cannot hurt me. Nobody can hurt me. Nobody can take anything away from me that you don't decree. And so instead of fearing all these people, I am going to fear you. I'm going to fear losing a connection with you. And you need to understand that when you are connected to God, when you feel his presence, when you are tied to God, then all these other things are not really scary, right? Because somebody is out there protecting you, watching you, being with you all the time. So all these other things are not really scary. They're only scary when we lose our connection to God. And that is the biggest loss. The biggest loss is losing this connection to God. So you can actually say that and focus. Take this fear and uh, transfer it to God. Channel it to fear of losing connection with God. But then you can actually take it one step further. Because the reason that you felt that um, experience, the reason that you were taken into this place of fear is because God wants a connection with you. God loves you. 
And out of this love and out of this wish for connection, God is trying to get your attention. So this fear was sent to you so that it would, you would pay attention and come back to God and really grab onto the fear of God. So God is doing this out of love. He's really, really trying to bring you back to him. And when we understand that there's a huge chesed, it's a huge kindness that God is trying to bring us back to him, to having a connection because it's the best place for us to have religiously, spiritually, but also emotionally and psychologically. The best place for us to be from every perspective is in a place of trust, of bitachon, of faith, of connection to God. It's the safest and most um, healthy place to be emotionally as long as it is real and authentic. So God is trying to do what's best for us. And the way to do that is by sending us these fears so that we can connect back to him and then feel love for him for sending us these experiences to bring us back. All of this does require quite a lot of awareness. You cannot go through this process unless you have the awareness of what's happening. You have to get out of your fear and look at this fear from the outside. And this is something that the Pesetzna Rebbe writes. He writes that you have to uh, not think the thought, but think about the thought. Not only feel the uh, feel the emotion, but look at the emotion from the outside. Look at this fear from the outside. Look at the thoughts leading to this fear from the outside, sort of like an independent objective onlooker from the outside looking in. And that will then enable you to go through this process of healing. Now, all of this is so appropriate for Hanukkah because Hanukkah is the darkest time of the year. It's when um, it, the day gets very short and the night is very long. It is very dark outside. It's very cold outside. And it seems to be like everything is lost. Also in the Jewish calendar, it's a time when the Jewish people were almost um, exterminated spiritually by the Greeks. So while most Jewish people were actually alive and the Greeks were not killing Jews off like in other times of history, emotionally and spiritually, the Jews were losing their connection to Judaism, to the Torah, to their religion, and adopting the ways of Greeks, very reminiscent of some of the things that are happening today. And there was only a very small group of people, the Maccabees, the Hashmonaeans, who decided to stick it out and stick with the Torah. And so a war ensued, a cultural war, a civil war, between the people who wanted to continue the Jewish way of life and those who supported the Greeks and the Greeks themselves. So this was a time of very big darkness when a lot of Jewish people actually left the path of, of God and the path of Torah. And there was a lot of darkness inside the Jewish people. And exactly in this time of darkness, both physical and spiritual, what we do is light a little candle, a little candle of light. It's a little spark of awareness that actually sets us off on a path of gaining full awareness, which is why 
every day we add another candle until we have eight candles and eight symbolizes supernatural. Seven is the natural world. We have seven weeks, we have seven colors of the rainbow. There are many other things that we have seven of, but eight is beyond natural. It's supernatural. And by taking on this little light, by taking on this little light of awareness, and instead of being afraid of the dark, just lighting a light of godliness, of awareness of God in the darkness and adding on to it bit by bit, day by day, after eight days, we can actually get to this beautiful Hanukkah, this beautiful light that actually can be seen from afar. And it creates supernatural results for us in the world. And, you know, over the past eight weeks, we did not set out to do big things for the army and for the soldiers and for the evacuated families of Israel. You know, we started out very small, was trying to do what we can to help here and there. And then we had this project of getting washing machines. And I was thinking, how am I going to get the money to buy dozens of washing machines that cost hundreds of dollars each? And, you know, something God sent the money. I have no idea from where. Good people donated. We got discounts. And we ended up sending dozens of washing machines. And then somebody asked me, Leah, how can we uh, help these 250 people that are stuck in this yeshiva get hot food? And, you know, a few phone calls to do you a little bit of of effort and that God sent this organization that is helping us fund all this food. And from that connection today, our organization is distributing 60,000 pounds of food every single day, every single week, I'm sorry. Every single week, we distribute 60,000 pounds of food to over 1,200 families. Every family gets about uh, 50 pounds of food that includes vegetables and dry goods that the families need so they can actually put food on the table. It's worth you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and it's not something we set out to do. We've bought drones for the Israeli army that are worth tens of thousands of dollars, not the money we thought we'll be able to get. And now we have requests for bulletproof vests for certain army units. I have no idea where to get that money, but I know that if we do the work, if we invest our effort, the money will come. You know, we need more toys for evacuated families. People in the South are telling me, don't send us food, send us toys. Kids are so bored. They're so stuck. They have nothing to do. Toys for kids are more important than even food. And good people are donating to this cause. And I'm sure there are many people listening to this program who have donated quite a lot to the Israeli society, to the IDF, but more is needed. This war is very costly. And like I said, there are many, many crises, the kinds we don't even think of. And the many solutions that are being offered by the Israeli people, really, the people are doing it. It's the regular people, people on the street. Like yesterday, I was sitting with a woman, and she told me that she sent eight big care boxes to eight families that lost their loved ones in this war. It's her thing. It's her little thing that she's doing. And another woman I met, her and her friends are sending 500 pounds of home-baked cakes and challah to an army base near them every single week for the past eight weeks. To actually, with this woman and a group of other women from the United States who came on a mission of volunteering, we held 
beautiful barbecue for soldiers on a base. And people from Israel and outside of Israel are volunteering and donating in unbelievable ways. I had the privilege last week of accompanying a mission of women who came from the U.S. and Canada to volunteer and help in Israel. And more efforts like this are coming. This is the difference between the Jewish people and Israel and many other places in the world. When everybody was um, thinking that Israelis would run away from Israel, actually 300,000 Israelis came back from abroad to serve in the army. When the IDF put out a call for soldiers, 150% of soldiers showed up for duty. They did not even have to send out um, text messages. The IDF has a system of sending text messages to call up reserves. They did not need to do that. Within 24 hours, over 300,000 people showed up for reserve duty without um, even getting a text message. So, and the Israeli civil society, the uh, and they're just the people, uh, really all um, in this together, working on this, everybody doing their little part, and many of our friends from abroad are also doing this. So I suggest you do more. Whatever you've done until now, you do more of the same. And this is actually the message of Hanukkah that I've once read in a letter from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and I think I will sign off on this today. The Lubavitcher Rebbe asks, on the first day, how many lights can you light? You can only light one candle on the first day. It doesn't matter how many candles you want to light. You can only light one, and one is the best you can do. It's the absolute best way to celebrate Hanukkah on the first night. Now, the second night comes around, and by the second night, one light is not enough anymore. I mean, it's enough if you want to do your minimum, but really, really, by the second night, you should be able to light two. You have more experience, you have more resources, you're smarter, better, more capable. By the second night, light two, but you still cannot light three. Because that's the potential of this night. The full potential of the second night is two candles. And by the third night, it's three and fourth. So he says, every you cannot jump over yourself. So whatever you did yesterday, you need to keep doing more off and more off and more off. Don't just say, oh, well, you know, I've given already yesterday. Yeah, push yourself. Can you give more tomorrow? And maybe you can get a little bit more next month. But the fact that somebody did something doesn't mean they should stop. They should actually add to what they've done. And obviously, everybody has to respect their boundaries. But there's this volunteer fatigue, this, this giving fatigue of people saying, I've done my part, that's it. You've done your part, that was what you could do yesterday. Today, you can do something new. And if you challenge yourself, God will give you the opportunity to actually do that. Literally today, somebody asked me if we have oil for people to light on Hanukkah. And I said, well, we didn't buy. We weren't planning on buying. We need to see if we have resources for that. And then just an hour later, somebody called me and gave me a thousand shekels to buy uh, religious uh, items and religious experiences for evacuated families. And we're going to go out and buy oil with that. So if we want to do things, if we really take this request seriously, if we want to apply ourselves and help people God will send us the way. We just have to be open to hearing the experiences, open to understanding that everything that happens to us in this world is really a message from God, a message of love and connection. And the more we feel it, 
the more we'll notice it. So with this, I would like to sign off for today and wish you an amazing, beautiful, happy Hanukkah and Hanukkah that will enlighten you, a Hanukkah that will lighten your path for the coming weeks and months until we get to the rest of our holidays. And Hanukkah, where you connect to your internal light and your internal fire and your internal passion and your internal worth and you shine it out to everybody around you. Have an amazing week. Hanukkah Sameach. This was Leah Roni. Bye-bye now.